Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. So Luke chapter 2, big shocker here. It's about order. It's about maturity. It's about growing up. And that's been something that goes back maybe three, four, five years. Um, prophets in the body started getting words about maturity, about growing up. And, um, and different thrusts were coming in and undercurrents throughout messages and prophetic words and utterances and things like that. And so the Lord started to draw my attention this way. And I've always had, I've always felt a weird sort of connection to this passage, uh, maybe because I was the kid that wasn't always listening to my parents. But in Luke chapter two, um, we see Jesus the first sighting of Jesus as a young man, okay? So he goes from a baby. We get the whole um, narrative, the whole um, the, the Christmas picture. So we're kind of moving backwards this morning because I know we're coming in hot on Christmas. But when he was 12, a story comes up, and Luke records it incredibly well. And, uh, and it's in this story where we see the first red letters, the first time Jesus speaks um, right here. So let's begin reading in chapter two, verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. Why? Because they were good Jews. That's why. That's what you did. That's like, that's like you know, good Christians come to church every Sunday and good Catholics go on Christmas and Easter. <laughs> so they were good Jews. So they would go at the feast of Passover, and when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy, Jesus, stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it, but supposed him to be in the caravan and went a day's journey, and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. The caravan was not a Dodge minivan. It was like a, it was a group of people that were all traveling together. Okay. Jesus in the back seat. Then after three days, so when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Verse 46 says, then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. Let me tell you something. Never mind. I'm just thinking if I had done this to my mom, she would not have used the word behold. You know what I'm saying? Why have you treated us this way? (laughs) And he said to them, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? First words from Jesus. But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So let's uh, let's just break this down. I've always felt like there was a message in here, and I just wasn't ready uh, to preach it, or maybe our church wasn't ready to hear it, but we're growing up. I'm growing up. You're growing up. We're getting old. So uh, it's, time that, it's time that we let the Lord challenge us in, uh, in our maturity. So first of all, they went every year, and it says they spent the full number of days. Now, this is Mary and Joseph. 
These are the ones who 12 years prior to this had experienced the heavens opening up and all the angels in all of heaven show up to sing and to announce the birth. This is, this is Mary and Joseph, the ones who conceived a child without ever having been intimate with each other. This is Mary and Joseph who both uh, bore witness to an angel from heaven coming and explaining to them what was gonna happen. The Messiah, they are raising the Messiah. And that's not something you forget. That's not something, oh, like that, that's right, that did happen the night that Jesus was born when, when we had our firstborn son in a shed behind a hotel. Yes, that's right, that did, no. These are not things you easily forget. And yet, even after Jesus is born, Mary and Joseph are fulfilling religious duties and checking sacred boxes. They're just doing it with a young Messiah in tow. As I was reading this, I felt the Lord challenge me on this. That when Jesus is initially born within us. Okay, can I say it that way? I know we like to say, well, we're being born again, right? But what's really happening is in similar fashion, there is an awareness and an acceptance as there was for Mary when she says, okay, let's do this. If this is you, let's do this. And the Holy Spirit moved and overshadowed her. And so in a way, while we liken it to ourselves being born again into a new race, what's happening is a faith a presence, a spirit of God is, is being birthed within us, being conceived, I'll say, within us. And so when Jesus is initially born in us, there's a freedom to take him with us anywhere we want to go. Okay? Some of you, you're in different stages right now of even your own walk with the Lord. Some of you have gotten saved within the last 12 or 6, 18 months. Some of you in this room, you've been saved for 12 or 18 years, and some of you, you were just born into it. And, and you don't even know because you just grew up that way. You just grew up believing and knowing the gospel and praying and, and all of these things. But what's interesting is that even Mary and Joseph, after having this radical experience with the Holy Spirit and heaven revealing itself and the Lord speaking in such a powerful way, they move on fulfilling religious duties they keep doing what they're doing the lord hadn't said not to right and by the lord i mean god because jesus isn't giving them orders at this point he's a little boy and i think for many of us we get used to sort of taking our faith in tow and some of us are more outspoken about it and we're like baby on board like sticker on our car but it's like you know it's like the christian thing instead and we're publicizing it and advertising it we want everybody to know how proud we are and others are kind of like the ones who have a baby and then use it for like as the excuse to stay in your house for the next two years and you never left you, you know who you are we'll have an altar call for you actually most of them are watching online right in the second service but so we end up sort of creating uh, like we, we find a way to reconcile our lives with the thing that has just been born into us. I remember when Ashley and I, before we had kids, we were all over the place. We were leading worship for everybody that called. It was like we were, we were like constantly loading up the car, loading up the trailer, loading up the band, driving up and down the eastern seaboard, leading worship at conferences and rallies and conventions and, and whatever, you name it, retreats, whatever it was. And here comes Finn. And Finn was one baby, a small baby, 
not an easy baby, but a small one, you know? And so it was easy enough. Throw him in the car. Throw, we never had a caravan, but you know what I'm saying? Throw him in the back of the SUV and put some toys back there, whatever. It was fine. We're still going. We're still doing. Load up the trailer. Load up the band. Load up the equipment. We're going. And then comes Sawyer, like immediately after, like right after Fenn. Like, bam, like were they twins and this one got hung up in there or something? I don't know. <laughs> so, bam, here's Sawyer. And he almost fell out in a worship set, actually. And, uh, but he didn't. <laughs> it is. It was actually, yeah, he was our first, first baby born in this church. And, uh, and it almost was actually in the church. And uh, I always say his first memories were like upside down of the hospital parking lot. <laughs> making it into triage. But the baby, so now we have two. Now we have not one, but two. But you know what? There's two of us. So now with two babies, we're doing everything we ever did. Now just two car seats in the back, two babies, twice as many toys, twice as many books, twice as many things that when the batteries are running out, they sound like they're demon possessed. Twice as much of all that stuff. And so Play with me. <laughs> like, no, <laughs> out in the name of Jesus. And so what happened was we continued to check all the boxes because we had gotten in a groove. We did, that's what we did. That's who we were. We were traveling worship leaders. And so we moved all over, we went all over the place. And then number three comes along and they outnumbered us. <laughs> and then number four on her heels. And before long, we realized that not only were there more kids, but we were in a different place. We had transitioned out of a place. And I think that for some of us in this room this morning, you found a way because of the freedom, right? We all talk freedom, freedom. It is for freedom that he set us free. We talk about freedom and in our freedom, we found a way to bring Jesus with us anywhere and everywhere that we want to go. But as we mature and as the spirit matures within us, the Lord should be the one who does the bringing and the staying and the leaving. After receiving the truth of the gospel, saints, we'll often carry, about, carry on about our normal duties. But I wonder at what point things should be changing. I wonder if we've gotten in this, in this mode or in this sort of, well, we found a way to make it convenient to keep doing what we always did in freedom, of course. But we just bring our faith with us. We just bring Jesus with us. And listen, I've preached many messages about how, you know, it was the priests of old that carried the presence of God. And now it's this royal priesthood today that now we embody the presence and we carry him with us everywhere we go but at some point, our will should be surrendered. And that spirit within us should be the one carrying us where it is that he wants to go, where he wants to stay, and where he wants to leave. Now, the next thing, verse 43. And as they were returning after spending the full number of days, which would have been seven days. And it says the full number of days because it was permissible to go uh, to Jerusalem for two days two and a half, three days, and then to start to head back. But Mary and Joseph were good Jews, and they stayed the full number of days, seven days. And as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware. Everybody say, unaware. unaware. I think we're missing the real sobriety of this story, the gravity of what's happening here. Now, it's one thing to leave behind a kid that you're kind of like, 
yeah, he's probably better off. <laughs> it's one thing to like have a handful of good kids and then you've got that one kid and you're like, any chance we could leave him behind? You know, you're, you and your wife are like looking at each other and you're like, let's go. He's in the bathroom. Let's go. You know who you are. And uh, it's one thing to have that. It's another thing to be raising the savior of the world. Okay. I remember, uh, I don't know if Lyle Richardson's in here or not, but I think he comes to second service maybe. But Lyle Richardson, when he was 12 years old, actually, I think he was 10. um, He was on a trip in a big caravan of cars up to Maine to go like snowmobiling and stuff. And it was him and his dad. This kind of stuff happens when the mom's not there. And uh, you know all those big rest stops on the way to Maine, you know, on the side of the road? And the further you get, the weirder they get. You know what I'm saying? You're like, I don't know. Why is Starbucks serving hot dogs? This is kind of (laughs) like something's not right here, but okay, we'll go for it. And, uh, And so... They go into a McDonald's. This is back in probably, I don't know, the 80s or something. They go into a McDonald's in a, in a rest stop, and Lyle goes and uses the restroom, and little, little bitty Lyle. And he's still little, but now he's, he was young and little. And he goes in, and he comes out, and everybody's gone. Two hours later. Why? Because they thought he was in another car. They thought he was in another one of the pickups or whatever, in the back of a trailer or something, you know, in the middle of the winter going to Maine. And so they turn around, they go back and get him. But if you're raising Jesus, I'm thinking you're going to have one of those leashes on him. Like, like a cord of three strands, you know what I'm saying, between me and G, like he's not going anywhere. In fact, I'm thinking the retractable ones that we use for the dog where you push the button and it like pulls them back in, you know. Get back here, Jesus. But no, no, he stayed behind and his parents were unaware of it. Sometimes we take the Lord's presence for granted, don't we? We're so used to just packing him along with us that we don't notice him maturing into his own desires. And we find ourselves in a situation, and I'm not here to tell, I'm not telling you that, oh, you know, Jesus will leave you and he will forsake. No, that's not the word. He says, says, he'll never leave us or forsake us. But I'm talking about the manifest presence of God. I'm talking about the presence of God that we can, that we can immediately go to. The one where, where we've created a life for ourselves and at times, and you know who you are, you know in your mind that you're not really ever far from the Lord because nothing can pluck you from his hand. And yet you yourself have removed so much of your life from him before you realize it. They were unaware. They just supposed him to be somewhere else in the caravan. And I see Christians and we talk to Christians and we counsel believers who, who over time, you know, they get saved and there's a, there's, a, there's a handful of years up front where it's like, you know, they're constantly on alert of what's going on. Where's Jesus at? What's he doing? Uh, where does he want me? Where is he leading me? But there comes this sort of like plateau where it doesn't really seem like anything's happening. It's been a while since I've been visited by Gabriel. It's been a while since the heavens opened up and angels were seen. It's been a while since, you know, some crazy miracle had to take place in order for us to be where we are. And so we're kind of on like autopilot. 
We check the boxes. We fulfill the full number of days. And next thing you know, somebody looks around and says, where's Jesus? Oh, he's, he's, somebody else has him. It's somebody else's turn with him. Look at all the new young ones coming up. It's their turn. Let them go down and get goosebumps and let, let somebody else go to the altar call for a while. I should be better than that by now, right? We should be good. It's been 12 years. I'm sure he's around here somewhere. They supposed. If you're writing things down, you can get this. An immature faith will move in the same direction as you. An immature believer will move away from the very thing that saved us. You see, the church has been sabotaged by immature faith. And if you ever need proof, just keep your eyes peeled. The leaders are dropping like flies. Falling like flies. Why? Because of an immature faith that will move in the direction of their flesh. We've been here long enough. Let's go this way. And as they move, they, they want Jesus to stay a baby. And so, so he can't fight back. So he can't talk back. So he can't wrestle his way into our lives by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so what ends up happening, what ends up happening is you see people who, who for years, maybe even decades, stood for truth. Pe- people who preached at pulpits truth. People who were uncompromising in the integrity of truth, of the word of God. And because some wind of doctrine blows across their path, and the Jesus in them wasn't strong enough to hold his ground. Why? Because they kept him on milk. They kept their faith on a, on a diet of milk. I only want my baby eating what I can chew up and spit out for him. Because if he gets too strong, he's going to get me moving in a direction that I'm uncomfortable with. I like baby Jesus. I like baby Jesus. Jesus is growing up, and his bride should be too. That's for you, baby. That wasn't a cough drop. That was my teeth. That's how serious I am. Where does that leave us? It leaves us in crisis looking around for Jesus. Ashley and I just led worship at a conference in Charlotte, North Carolina. I guess we're still doing it. (laughs) Just without the kids now. We just leave them at home, you know, make some sandwiches on the counter and just, you guys got this. And, And 24 hours before, I get a phone call. Zach, the, uh, the keynote speaker, we've had to cancel the keynote speaker. What's going on? Well, it just came out that she has been involved in some things that are not biblically sound. And I didn't know at the time what it was until we get down there and it's like, oh my God, are you kidding me? What is going on? And so the Lord took what the 
Satan meant for evil and he turned it for good and the conference was phenomenal because that's what God does. But my heart is broken. My heart is broken to see immature believers dragging an immature faith along behind them in freedom, in the name of freedom. If you, want to, if you want to talk about blaspheming the Holy Spirit, we've got to be careful. And, and don't get me wrong, this isn't about politics, this isn't about, this isn't about policies, this isn't about uh, laws and, and what's going on in the country right now. This is about what's going on in you. What's going on in you? Where have we compromised truth? Where, where have we found out that, where have we skipped over so much scripture as to believe that, that we can get behind people who are coming into covenant as homosexuals? You can't. Sorry. Where have, we, where have we compromised this to think that it's okay to just, if you're tired of being married, you just divorce your spouse? Where have we decided that it's okay to get behind... Uh, that to get behind movements that, that take away the rights of unborn children. Where, where in the world have we grown this callousness over our hearts that in these certain areas, now listen, when you need something, you'll be the first one to cry out to Jesus. Oh, I've known Jesus. Oh, I got saved. I know how to pray. Oh, I can pray. Look around. If you don't see the Lord in these areas, it might be because you left him behind. It might be because somewhere where it was inconvenient, somewhere where you just wanted to check the full number of days and move forward, you forgot that the Lord was calling his bride to mature into the fullness of his stature. Zach, you're taking away my freedom. It's Thanksgiving and we have to pretend like we're okay with all this stuff. No, no. At 12 years old, rabbis and Jewish leaders would begin encouraging young, young men. When they turned 12, they would have to start fasting for the first time in their lives. They would begin fasting. Um, as part of a preparation because at 12, from 12 to 13, these uh, young men would transition from what was called a son of the covenant um, because of circumcision. They were, they were um, brought into a covenant when they were infants because of circumcision. But at this point in their life, they would become a son of commandment from a son of covenant to a son of commandment. Now, it doesn't mean that the covenant goes away. You're still circumcised. But the circumcision actually happened against the baby's will. It actually happened without the baby having a say in the matter. It happened, covenant takes place without us necessarily always re realizing what's required of us. Did anybody in here get saved because somebody told you, like, it makes all your troubles go away? <laughs> You're like, wow, this Jesus, free gift, sign me up. And you get saved and you come into covenant and... It's so exciting and it's like you won the lottery and the spirit and you're just like all this peace and this joy and all this other stuff. I know this is not everybody's experience, but we get saved with this idea of like, I escaped hell, hallelujah. Not realizing 
that a day would come when that faith, when that Jesus within us would mature to a place where we needed to move, we needed to develop, that covenant needed to bear fruit. And we would become not only sons of covenant, but sons of commandment. It was at this point when I believe Jesus heard the call. Because covenant is one thing. And a lot of people will spend their lives just in covenant, never crossing the threshold into commandment. But what separates covenant from commandment is teaching. Teaching. Teaching is what brings maturity to our faith. Teaching. Well, Zach, you know, I thought this wasn't that kind of church, you know, that puts all this emphasis on theology and blah, 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 this and that. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the word of God. I'm talking about the word of God. We were never meant to spend our lives on like three or four verses of the word of God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Okay. I'm justified by faith. I get it. For God so loved the world. It's not to diminish the power of these verses. But by staying there, we diminish the power of the rest of them. So when Jesus turns 12 and this thing starts to burn within him, he comes into this place. He comes into the synagogue. They're in Jerusalem. And he settles in with teachers who, by the way, teachers and Pharisees, these, some of these might have been the ones who, you know, a few years later, 21 years later, were the ones who were shouting out to crucify him. And yet, in that place, he knew that it was his position to receive, to share, to interact, to discuss, to challenge, and to be challenged. And so he engaged on that level. Jesus was maturing. And finally, they come back. This was a number of days. So whether or not you count the two days in the wrong direction with the additional three days, it could have been as much as five days that they couldn't find Jesus. But they find him. And what does he say? He says, I had to be in my father's house. I had to be in my father's house. We talk a lot about your destiny here. You'll hear me pray it over us. You'll hear me talk it through, encourage people, maybe you individually and sometimes from this mic and this pulpit. We talk a lot about destiny, but I want to be very clear about something. The only destiny we have is the destiny of Christ within us, the calling of Jesus within us. Without him, we go back to the empty vessel. Without him, we go back to a lamp that's not lit. Without him, we go back to empty, to void, to useless, meaningless, even on our best days. And so with him, that destiny, that calling, that draw, that gravitational pull is to where? Did you not know? I've got to be in my father's house. 
Did you not know? This is where I belong. This is where I'll be forever. Now understand, this was a Jesus who was still getting it. I think some of us, we think that Jesus, you know, he, he didn't forsake his, he didn't forsake his divinity to embrace his humanity, but we know that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. And yet we see at different points, especially on the crucifixion, moments where he checks his divinity. He checks his supernatural power and identity in order to what? Make sure that he was fully human, fully man, so that he could relate to us, so that we could be of his race, so that we could be like him. But as the spirit of God matures within us, there is, like within Jesus, an increasing gravitational pull back into the Lord's presence and back under the teaching of his word. Let's stand to our feet. Saints, the Lord's calling us to grow up. I hear from so many people so often, you know, I'm in this season where I've got to get this done. You know, I haven't been to church in a while or I haven't been, I haven't been in the word in a while. I haven't been praying like I should be, you know, I'm studying for these exams. I'm trying to finish my degree. I'm trying to do this program or whatever it is. One of my favorite ones is, is, you know, we've had a lot of issues with our family and we're just like really taking this time to focus on our family. Guys, an immature faith will follow you anywhere. An immature faith, you can strap in a five point harness and drive somewhere you ought not be. An immature faith may not have the articulation or the explanation to argue back. But as we grow in the Lord and as that conviction arises within us, as the Lord desires to come into his destiny, we need to be willing to submit ours, to surrender ours. Because he was growing. If you read the, the final closing of that statement, of that whole passage, it says, and he continued to grow. Now he did learn, right? He did learn obedience. The Bible says it. He learned obedience. I believe that Jesus, I do believe that Jesus never sinned. But I believe that even without, even in his sinlessness, even in his perfection, that he had to learn obedience and subjection. He had to understand what all of us have to understand. That somehow we are to reconcile that call, that destiny coming up within us and this life that we're living. Somehow without ever compromising what it is that the Lord's doing. And you know what? There's a way to do it. There's a way to do it. It's just so often we're lazy or so often we're, we're, we'd rather have a professional do it. Or so often we're so busy living the American dream that, that we forget about God's dream for us. The whole reason that Jesus was given to begin with. 
so we could come back to the Father's house, that we could come back to his presence, that we could come back and sit under the teaching and receive the fullness of what it is that he wants for us. And so I want to encourage you, as this is the first place that Jesus spoke, well, it's not the first place he spoke, but it's the first place that it's recorded, right? The first red letters in the Gospels. I believe that this is also a place where Jesus begins speaking within us. Not just the, I love you, you're awesome, your sins are forgiven, but the, hey, I've got something better for you than this. Hey, I know this is hard right now, but if you'll stick to your guns, if you'll dig your feet in, if you'll not be swept away by every wind of whatever that comes through here, you'll see these promises come to pass. And so I want to encourage you, saints, to hear him this morning. Hear him say it to you, the ones who are raising a Jesus within yourselves. You're raising up a faith. You're raising up. You're you're continuing to, to watch the spirit of God grow into something incredible. Gifts unfold. Muscles are flexed. And you're like, whoa, this thing's incredible. But with that comes the high price of an incredible calling. For Mary, it meant losing her first son. It meant standing there crying while he went to the cross. That was what it took. And for some of us, if we're gonna really allow Jesus to become within us what he desires to be, it's gonna require great sacrifice. It will require higher prices than you could ever imagine to pay and yet come with greater rewards than anything in this world could ever offer. So, Father, I pray this morning that you would find within us a yieldedness. Lord, we know that there is a season where we have to spoon feed this thing, that we have to take great care. But, Lord, I pray that our eyes would never leave this fledgling faith, God, this one. Lord, all over this room, people are at different places, but you know every one of them. Father, forgive us where we just assumed that you were here. Forgive us, Lord, when we just assumed that you were were in this with us because it's something we wanted to do. God, I pray that we wouldn't take uh, your passive presence for granted. That as royal priests, that we would never abuse the fact that we carry the presence of an almighty God. But instead, Lord, that we would pay careful attention to what it is you're maturing into within us. Lord, we know that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that it's us, Lord, who needs to to adopt and adapt to, to what's happening. And so, God, I pray that conviction would set in in the places where we need to crucify our flesh, in the places where we need to sacrifice things in our life that ought not be there or that you've called for. God, things that are toxic or unhealthy, Forgive us, Lord, when we've, when we've kept our mouths shut about, about lies in this world, about lies that have been pervasive and, and, um, and destructive to ones we love. 
But Lord, as we continue to yield and submit to you, even coming into this season, I pray that it would not be us who does the talking, but it would be you, Lord, within us, that you, Holy Spirit, would use us as that vessel, as that conduit, and that truth from heaven would come in a way, Lord, where the love is not um, diminished, but God, where we can see life restored into dead places, where we can see covenant restored through commandment, and commandment restored through covenant. So Lord, we trust you and we love you. And we say, have your way. Have your way. Jesus. So teach my song to rise to you. When temptation comes my and when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. For Jesus, you're my hope and stay. Because, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you every hour. we thank you for your presence in our lives. We thank you for this gift. Lord, it's our greatest prayer that we would be stewards of that which you have deposited, that which we have inherited, that which you've entrusted us with. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.